It is good to be back here and to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, we pray and we hope that this will be a blessed Sabbath for each and every one of you, that you will be uh, will feel welcome here, that this will be a, a church where you will be thinking of coming back uh, other times. And uh, my prayer is that our church may also be welcoming to you, that we may reach out to you and welcome you, and that we all together may continue to worship and serve the Lord and learn more about His plan for not only for humanity, but for each and every one of us. You know that Jesus uh, is the Creator. Jesus, the Bible says that He is the Creator. And so if he's the creator, uh, he must have existed forever. And he is uh, God who dwelt among us. God who became flesh and came to dwell among us. And Jesus, because he decided to come and live among us and be one of us, even though he never ceased to be God, he died on the cross and he rose again and he is now interceding for us in heaven. And because of that, he knows each and every single thing you are going through. Because he has trod this guilty sod as well. And he has experienced what you are going through. He can understand what it is to suffer in the flesh. He can understand what it is to suffer uh, disappointment, betrayal. All of those things that may be hurt you in this life, Jesus can understand. And Jesus is willing to give you a hand and to, and to protect you and to guide you and to keep you under His wings and walk along with you and make sure that you are not discouraged, that you do not lose hope because one day, as Sister Michelle said, one day Jesus is coming. Whether it be next month, or next year, or a hundred years from now, or five hundred years from now. I don't think it's going to take that long, but only God knows. And it doesn't matter when He comes, He will come, because the Bible says He will come. And when He comes, we'll be celebrating, because that will be the end of the sorrow that we have been going through in this world. This is the hope we have. This is the hope we carry. And, and a lot can be learned from observation. I actually read a, a story. It was a funny story the other day. I hope that you can feel, like I said, you can feel welcome here in this church. And a lot can be learned by observation. A lot we learn by hearing what people say. And a lot we learn by observation. And uh, this man had two horses. And he, he liked both horses, but he had a problem. He couldn't really tell one horse apart from the other. And he looked at the horses. They both seemed uh, like to him. And he said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut the tail off one, of one horse so I can know which, which is which. And so he did, but that didn't help because eventually the tail grew back. And he said, I'm going to cut the mane off the other horse. And so he did, but that didn't help either because eventually the mane grew back. And so he finally decided to measure the two horses. And he found out that the black horse was two inches taller than the white horse. <laughs> and so, uh, observe, watch, right? Watch, watch. Because we pray and we, we, we want that the presence of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit will be here in our midst. And we pray that you can, you can leave this place this morning learning truth from Scripture. Not only by what you hear, but by what you see. And I hope that we all can be part of this living sacrifice, living testi testimony that speaks to the world. And so before we, we dig into Scripture and we delve into today's message, I'd like to invite you to join me as I ask for God's direction and for the presence of the Holy Spirit and of the Holy Angels. 
So join me as far as possible. Heavenly Father, here we are, and we are so thankful that you have welcomed us into your presence today. We thank you, Lord, that of all the places we could have been and could have chosen to go, we, cho we chose to be here in your presence. I praise your name for every person and every family, every child that made their way here today, this morning. And I ask, Lord, that the fact that we came here and at some point we'll go back home, will not be void, a void effort. We ask, Lord, and I humbly ask you that every person, every worshiper here this morning will be blessed. Lord, I ask that at this very moment, any distraction may be laid aside, that we'll be able to focus on you and on your word. I ask, Lord, that you may use me as your instrument. That none of what I say or what I do or, or my gestures or anything may really matter. But I pray that your word will come alive and transform our hearts. Father, all glory and honor be given to you. And I ask, Lord, that you may open up the hearts and minds of every worshiper here today. That we may worship you in spirit and in truth. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask. Amen. We just finished a study uh, on the book of Esther in our midweek prayer meeting. Actually, we have a midweek Bible study at 6 p.m. every Wednesday. And then it's followed by prayer meeting at 7. But in this weekly Bible study, I'm preaching from my phone today, if that's okay. Uh, uh, in this uh, Wednesday Bible study, we just we studied the book of Ezra a while ago, and then we went, we went to the book of Nehemiah. And then uh, just recently, we studied the book of Esther. And now, just this past weekend, this past uh, Wednesday, we have just started a study on the book of Hosea, prophet Hosea. But in the book of Esther, we learned so many things. We learned so much, those who had the opportunity to come here. And I'd like to once again extend the invitation. If you are able, it's uh, during the week. And I know people work and study and have families and have children, have other commitments. But if you can, come to the 6 p.m. Bible study on Wednesday. It's been a blessing and we pray that it will continue to be. But many things we learned in the book of Esther. The book of Esther is a book of... Uh, of lessons that can be learned and applied by every single Christian, especially, I would say, every Christian living in the 21st century. And why is that? Because the book of Esther talks about the people, the, the Jews, the Israelites, that did not return to Jerusalem when they, when they all were authorized to do so. Some returned with uh, Zerubbabel, with Ezra, Nehemiah, but some stayed there in Babylon. At that time was actually the Persian Empire. Some stayed there, and we learn from the Bible that Esther and Mordecai were two of those Jews who stayed there in Susa, or some Bibles say Shushan, which is the capital, the citadel, where the palace of the king of Persia, Persia was located. And so they stayed there, and they are there in, in the midst of this pagan empire. And they are trying to keep their faith alive. They are keeping their faithfulness to God alive. And they are living in a very secularized society. And it's not too different from, from what we, we experience today, is it? We live in a world where, uh, unfortunately, it seems that the receptivity to the things of God is not as as uh, open or popular as it used to be in the past. But the Holy Spirit is still working. The Holy Spirit is still working in the hearts of people and open up ways by which we can minister to people. And so I believe that the message in the book of Esther, the messages, the lessons there, are very much applicable to you and I here today. 
While some people may look at this, and uh, right in the beginning of the book, it talks about King Ahasuerus, who was the king of Persia, and his empire extended all the way, the Bible says, through 127 provinces, all the way from uh, Persia into uh, the Mediterranean Sea and going south to Ethiopia, which is uh, representative of Africa. And it also says that it extended all the way to India, which points to us that it also extended into Asia. And this was the Persian Empire at the time. There were people living in major cities, but there were people living out in the country. And so whether you live in the city of Belleville, whether you live in the city of Toronto, whether you live in the country, whether you live in Marysville, in Roblin, whether you live out in the country, in Tweed, in Sulfide, the book of Esther has lessons for each and every one of us. Because it is, it is a book that was uh, written uh, describing a story and describing events that took place in the Persian Empire, but it affected the entire, the entire dominion of Persia. And so we see that the book of Esther is a book of revelations. And it ties up into, uh, it ties into what the book of Revelation in the Bible has. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a mysterious book, but it has things that we need to study. And we, stu- we need to study deeper. And the book of Esther has some revelations, some things that looked like they were something, but it turned out that they were revealed in a way that people learned something different. For example, there was a plot right in the beginning of the book. There was a plot to kill King Ahasuerus. Two of his eunuchs, two of his servants, were there just outside of the palace plotting to kill the king. We don't know exactly why, but they were not happy with the king. They were mad at the king. They were planning to kill the king. All that was heard by Mordecai. Mordecai overheard the conversation. And he went to Esther, whom at that point was already the queen. And Mordecai let Esther know about that plot. And Esther told the king on behalf of Mordecai what was going on. And the king was able to do something to spare his own life and present, prevent those men from going forward and executing their plot. So it was revealed and uh, the, the king's life was preserved. There was a plot to kill the people of Israel all together, all of them. But this plot was also revealed. And then the king was able to do something to allow something be done to preserve the life of the people of God. The book is a book where hidden identities are revealed. Uh, Esther's identity was hidden for a while. She didn't quite tell the the king immediately whom she was or where she came from. Mordecai's identity was hidden for a while, but then it was revealed. The enemy of God's people. The enemy of God's people, according to the book of Esther, in that story is Haman. And sometimes the book will refer to him as the enemy of God's people. And for a while, he was able to hide his real intentions. The king was not aware of that. But eventually, that was also revealed. And it was the same thing, as we see here, was the same thing and has been the same thing since the beginning of history. Satan will come, he came hidden behind, in pers- uh, hidden behind possessing a serpent, and he came as this beautiful, dazzling serpent, talking to the woman, talking to Eve. And Eve look at, looked at that, and she was probably quite impressed to see a serpent talk. But behind that, there was an evil intention. And even though God had said that they should not eat of the fruit of that tree, The serpent, that beautiful serpent, turns to Eve and says, That's not true. You shall surely not die, because look at me, I've I've eaten of it and I'm still alive. I can actually fly. Look at how beautiful I am. But behind that, there was a hidden intention that eventually was revealed. And it has been, like I said, like that throughout history. It was like that in every major event, in every major deception of Satan. And even when Jesus was condemned, it was so. I, I spoke two weeks ago here about how Judas came to Jesus. And he comes to Jesus and says, 
my master. But there was a hidden intention behind that. Because after saying my master, he was going to kiss Jesus. And by kissing Jesus, it was indicated him, indicating whom the crowd was supposed to arrest. And this is the, the tactics. This is the strategy that Satan uses. There is always a hidden intention that is never true, that is never clear. It's, also, it's always deceptive. And he comes with hidden intentions. He mixes truth with error. He, there, there is half truth and half error, which makes up for error. And that is told and people get confused about that. And that's Satan's plan. And we see that in the book of Esther, where the enemy of God would be uh, working behind the scenes. The enemy of God's people trying to destroy them. But, thanks to God's providence, that was revealed. And it's going to be like this all the way to, until Satan is finally destroyed. It is going to be like that to those who decide to remain firm and those who decide to remain faithful to God. Satan will find a way to, to condemn them. Even though they haven't done anything wrong. But just for the fact that they stand up to Satan's deceptions. They will be condemned. But this is what the book of Esther teaches us. There are many other lessons in the book of Esther. And this is one of them. That even though Satan may have his hidden intentions. His hidden purposes. That is all going to be revealed. And God's people will be victorious. But the book of Esther is also a book of feast, a book of fast, and a book of food. I didn't say fast food. It's fast and food. It's, there, is, there is a lot of eating. There is a lot of feasting in the book of Esther. There is a lot of food. There is a lot of partying. Actually, scholars have studied this, and they found that there are ten banquets in the book of Esther. Ten banquets. And I'm going to, to mention them to you quickly here. Well, the first one is the king's banquet. King Ahasuerus' banquet. That lasted, do you remember how long? It lasted for how long? Seven days was the second one. The first one was a little longer. Just a little longer than seven days. It was 180 days. 180 days, not 180 hours, which would have been a lot already, but 180 days, six months feasting, partying. And the Bible says that uh, invitations were sent out to all of the 127 provinces. And the, the governors, the, the satraps, the representatives of all those provinces came to the citadel of Susa and they had the six month party at the expense of the Persian uh, treasury. Can you imagine if our dear Prime Minister Justin Trudeau would go away from the country for six months, right? To be in a foreign country for six months. I don't think that would go well. But that's what happened. They were all there and the king is trying to, to impress them with his power, with his wealth. This is what I have accumulated in wealth. This is how powerful I am. You can eat and party and drink for six months with no regrets because the treasury is covering for it all. That was the first. The second one was a seven-day banquet, as someone just mentioned here, that the king decided to offer to to those who were the palace servants. So now because there were six months working for all those guests. Now we'll have seven days to feast yourselves. There was another, another banquet when King uh, Queen Vashti was invited to come. Uh, this was actually the seven day banquet. After Vashti put up a banquet herself for the women. Uh, while the king was offering this seven day ban banquet. There was a fourth one which was a banquet given in honor of Esther when she was made queen. Number five was a private banquet between Haman and the king when they signed the decree to kill all the Jews. Number six was the first banquet that Esther offered to King Ahasuerus and Haman. Number seven was the second banquet that Esther offered to them. Number eight was a public banquet given to elevate Mordecai to the rank of second only to the king. 
Number nine was a banquet celebrating Jewish victory in the provinces. And number ten was a banquet celebrating Jewish victory in the capital, in Susa, in the citadel of Susa. And so there was a lot of banquets, there was a lot of eating, a lot of partying. But, let me say this to you. If you have not noticed yet, life actually happens between meals, right? By the way, you may have looked at the title for the sermon this morning, Between Meals, and we are between meals, right? We had breakfast, I hope we all had a chance to have breakfast this morning, and uh, we'll have lunch uh, soon. But this is not what I'm talking about. This is about something else, even though we are actually between meals. But there was a lot of meals and a lot of partying, but life actually happens between meals. That's why I'm skeptical. I do not really believe in something like, well, let's meet and let's discuss some business, business over lunch. Because I believe lunch is a time where we should cast off all the anxiety, all the concerns, and we should just enjoy it. It is, it is almost as a sacred time where we come together and we have peace, right? And so I have actually good counsel here that I want to read for you. This is good counsel, and it's found in, the, in a book called Counsels on Diet and Foods. And look at what this, this quote says. Another serious evil is eating at improper times as after violent or excessive exercise, excessive exercise, when one is much exhausted or heated, immediately after eating there is a strong draft upon the nervous energies, and when mind or body is heavily taxed just before or just after eating, digestion is hindered. When one is excited, anxious, or hurried, it is better not to eat until rest or relief is found. Did I read this? Yes, I did. Not even uh, good food should be eaten if you are too anxious or hurried. And so that tells us that we should approach the meal time in, in peace, without anxiety. Now, much, re uh, much research has been done about the connection between the mind, the heart, and the gut, right? So those three parts of the body, they are interconnected and one uh, impacts the other. So listen to this quote now. It's on the same uh, book. The next paragraph says, The stomach is closely related to the brain. And when the stomach is diseased, the nerve power is called from the brain to the aid of the weakened digestive organs. When these demands are too frequent, the brain becomes, becomes congested. When the brain is constantly taxed and there is lack of physical exercise, even plain food should be eaten sparingly. Isn't that interesting? At mealtime, now listen to this, at mealtime, cast off care and anxious thought. Do not feel hurried, but eat slowly and with cheerfulness with your heart filled with gratitude to God for all his blessings. And so mealtime is, is an important time. Because even though life does not happen necessarily at mealtime, it happens between meals, what you eat at mealtime will directly impact how we react between meals. And so we need to be careful with what we need, we, we, we eat. We do not eat, or rather, we do not live for eating, but we eat for living. And so we, are, we, we, we ought to be careful. Meals are not the only thing in life, but they help punctuate events in life. Usually when you go to a wedding, we go to the wedding, and we're going to be a wedding in, uh, in a couple weeks in the area here. We go to the wedding, you expect to see uh, the, the groom and the bride and making their vows and committing to live forever together. But I think there is also an expectation in the back of your mind that there will be some food. 
It's part of the, it's part of the event, right? It comes together. But that's not the only and main thing. It helps punctuate events in life. And so, we see here in the book of Esther that mealtime was important. And the very first banquet I was mentioning, the one that lasted 180 days, was one that was focused solely on human achievement, on the human, humanness of King Ahasuerus. I don't know if you have ever thought about this, I don't know if you have re read about this, if you have researched, but from the first day of Passover, which was the first feast, the first uh, Jewish feast, the first one that God had assigned to them, uh, the first day of the Passover, all the way to the last day of the Feast of the Tabernacles, which was the last feast, there was just roughly 180 days. Okay, so, uh, and even today, just like this year, uh, the first day of the Jewish Passover in 2019 was April 19. And the last day of the Feast of the Tabernacles will be October 20th. So it's just about 180 days, six months. And they were not, you know, back-to-back -back days. I mean, they were feasts within that time frame. But here, and, and those were appointed feasts to, to draw people closer to God. But here comes this king and says, well, 180 is too few. I'm going to do 180 plus 7. And it's all going to be centered on me, on myself. I, I, and I, I have done this, I have accumulated wealth. And that human perspective kind of sets the tone for what the book will be, for what the actions of that king are going to be. God, God is not interested in human glory because he has all the glory. God wants to make you Happy, God wants to see you have the glory of Jesus in your life. To have the righteousness of Jesus. And when things become self-centered, when things become human-centered, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. That's what happened there. As God's people were persecuted, as God's people were threatened with death. But the book of Esther is also a book of reversals. The book of Esther is also a book of reversals which actually points out to the big reversal that one day will come when Jesus will come to this world. And all the evil is going to be reversed, is going to be turned into good. Everything that is evil will be destroyed and will have a new heaven and a new earth. The book of Esther is a book of reversals. Haman, who used to be the second in command there in the kingdom, in the Persian Empire. Haman was deposed at some point. He was actually executed and Mordecai was elevated. God reversed the fate of his people. Because on a given day, on the 13th day of the 12th month, they were all supposed to die. There was a decree where anyone who was a neighbor to the Jew, even if you're not a neighbor, you could come uh, by a Jew, you could come to them and execute them, kill them. You had permission to do so by law. But God operated in, in such a way that there was a reversal of the fate of His people. And the day that was supposed to be a day of sorrow, a day that was supposed to be a day of lamentation and destruction, turned out to be a day of celebration that is still kept and celebrated to this day, the Feast of Purim. The book of Esther also shows us some things that cannot be changed. And actually in one of our studies here, there was a brother who said something that I said, I think we have a sermon right there. And it is part of what I'm going to say here today. The book of Esther is a book that shows us some things that cannot be changed. And I want to ask you to go with me to Esther chapter 1, verse 19. Esther chapter 1, verse 19. According to the law of the Medes and Persians, something that would have been decreed by the king could not be changed, could not be revoked, could not be reversed. So Esther chapter 1, verse 19 says... 
And this is some of the king's or one of the king's counselors giving him some suggestions as how he should deal with the fact that Queen Vashti did not want to come and, uh, and parade herself and show her beauty to his guests. She refused to do so. And one of the king's assistants told him, King, if it pleases you, let a royal decree go out from him, from the king, and let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and of the Medes, so that it will not be altered. So once it is recorded in the book of the laws of the Medes and Persians, it cannot be revoked. That's what the Bible says. And then you go to, Ch to Esther, chapter 8. You go to chapter 8 and verse 8. <clears throat> and it says, it brings us the same idea. Chapter 8, verse 8 says, You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can what? No one can revoke. And so some things cannot be changed, some things cannot be revoked, and one of them is any decree that would have been passed as a law from the Persian king. I can tell you also some things that cannot be changed. Some other things that cannot be changed. In fact, we come here to verses 10 to, uh, and 10 and 11. Let's read the, these two texts before I go any, any forward. Uh, verses 10 and 11 in chapter 8 say, uh, And he wrote, uh, this is talking about Mordecai, So he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring, and sent letters by couriers on horseback, riding on royal horses bred from swift steeds. By these letters the king permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together and protect their lives, to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people of province that would assault them, both little children and women, and to plunder their possessions." And so now that a new law is, is uh, enacted and it has the king's signet ring, it also becomes something that cannot be revoked. I can tell you something else that cannot be revoked. You can find it in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 verses 16 and 17. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. If you found it, you can say amen. amen. If you haven't found it, you can say, wait for me. And so Genesis 2, 16, 17, the Bible says, And the Lord God commanded them, commanded man, the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Why were they not supposed to eat? Why? The, the, the same verse 17 says. Can anyone tell me? For the day that you eat of it, you shall what? Well, that's something that can never be changed. Because that's the word of the Lord. And so the, the Lord is saying that the day you eat of that fruit, of the fruit of that tree, you shall surely die. And it doesn't matter if in, in the next chapter... In chapter 3 and verse 3, 4 and 5, when of 2 to 5, when Eve is, is telling the serpent that God told him not to eat of that, uh, of that tree. In fact, she added something that was not there in the first place. She said we should not eat and we should not touch it, even though God never said that. But then the serpent says in verse 4 and 5, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. While the serpent may have tried to make a case here, the serpent, Satan, may have said all he wanted and embellished it with his words, wisely crafted words. But the truth of the matter is that God's word cannot be changed. And since God, that you should not eat, because if you do eat, you shall surely die. That's what we see. That's what happened. And we go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, 
verses 9 to 11. Romans 3, 9 to 11. Romans 3, 9 to 11. If you found it, you can say amen. If not, you can say mercy this time. So Romans 3, 9 to 11 says, What then? Are we better than uh, they? Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. And then verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is what we have experienced since the fall of Adam and Eve, because God's word cannot be changed. If God warned them that something might happen and they disobeyed God, it certainly happened. They certainly found out that God was true and faithful, but it was then late. And then Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, Romans 6:23 says, For the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. Well, that's what God had said in the beginning. You shall surely die. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so if there is one thing that cannot be changed, is the fact that the sinner deserves death. If there is one thing that cannot be changed, is the word of the Lord. If there is one thing that cannot be changed, is the fact that every sinner... Uh, deserves and has earned the right to die because that's what the wages of sin is but at the same time there is something else because God could not revoke that God did something else now God could not have come and said okay Adam and Eve it is not too bad what you have done you know after all it's not a big thing we'll forget that we'll leave it behind and we'll move forward God could not have done that without being unfaithful to his own word and God cannot lie. And so because that cannot be changed, God came and intervened and provided something else that cannot be changed either. And the Bible says that the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus, in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so God intervenes and He provides a solution that cannot be changed either. And whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life and so even though the wages of sin is death if you secure uh, your your decision if you make your decision and you accept Jesus Christ as your savior then there is something else I can tell you this morning that will never change is that you will be saved because the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord do you believe that? Do you believe that? Yes, the Bible does say in Matthew chapter 1 that Jesus should be called Jesus. That Joseph could give Jesus the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so it is true. God wants to save you and to provide you with a new life. But if you do accept Jesus, even though you're a sinner... You can have everlasting life because that's a promise of God. That's the word of the Lord and that cannot be changed. Well, friends, we also are living between meals. We're also living between two meals. Not breakfast and lunch, but we're living between a meal that was just like the first party that Ahasuerus threw, it, is, it was a meal that was absolutely self-centered. It was a meal that was just about pleasing self and forgetting what God had said. And this meal I'm referring to is, is the fall of Adam and Eve when they ate of the fruit that God told them not to eat. We're living between that meal when they thought, well, maybe yes. Maybe the serpent is right. Maybe God is holding something back from us. 
Maybe there is something that God does not want, doesn't want us to learn. And in fact, they learn someone, something. I said someone, something. Maybe there's something God does not want us to learn. And in fact, they learn something that they were not supposed to learn. They learn what evil is, what sin is. And they could have spared all the suffering that they had. They could have spared all the suffering that we've had. But in, 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 in turn, they went about pleasing self and thinking maybe there is a higher ground that we can attain if we eat this fruit. God is trying to prevent that. And so it was all about self-pleasing. And we live in a time between that meal and another one that's mentioned here in the book of Revelation. And so come with me to Revelation 19. Revelation 19 verses 7 to 9. Revelation 19, 7 to 9 talk about another meal. A very special one. One that will close, that will, will, will punctuate uh, the special fact that God has redeemed us. Revelation 19, 7-9 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then He said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he said to me, these are the true sayings of whom? God. Hallelujah. These are the true sayings of God and that cannot be changed. And so friends, we are living in a time between those two meals. And we know that one has already happened. The other one is the one we are looking forward to and it will happen. While Jesus came to this world, he died, he rose again, he went to heaven. As I look at the story in the book of Esther, and I think of Mordecai, Mordecai was elevated to the position of second in rank in the kingdom. Haman was deposed, he was executed, Mordecai was elevated. The Bible says that the king came to Queen Esther, and the king said, well, I'm going to give you the house of Haman. It's going to be yours now. And Esther called Mordecai and put Mordecai in charge of the house. And we see in the book of Esther that Mordecai is, is a type of Jesus. He, he is symbolically representing Jesus as well. And Mordecai is there in charge of the house. He is the one making sure that all the provisions will be in place for everyone in the house. He is the one making sure that there is food on the table. He is the one making sure that things are organized. He is the one in charge of making sure that uh, things are going to be processed orderly. Is the one to, uh, who is there in charge to make sure that the place will be safe for everyone who comes into that house. But one day, the Bible says in verses 15 to 17 of the book of Esther, one day Mordecai will leave the house. The Bible says here, Esther 8, 15 to 17, which Caitlin so beautifully read this morning, so Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white, with a white crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. The Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor. And in every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday then many people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. The day came when Mordecai left the house. But he didn't leave the house in, in sackcloth as he had used before. He left the house in royal apparel. He left the house and everyone recognized him as being part of the royal, the royal uh, crowd, the royal crew. And one day I can tell you that Jesus who is right now interceding for you and me in the heavenly sanctuary. Jesus who is now in his priestly garment so to speak. And he's exercising his priestly, uh, his, uh, priestly ministry. One day Jesus will leave the heavenly sanctuary. One day Jesus will take off his priestly garments and he will put on his royal garments. And he will exit that ministry, the Door will be closed, probation will be closed, 
and he will come to take home those who have accepted him, those who have made a commitment to live with him forever. Jesus will come out of the heavenly sanctuary in royal apparel. He will come as king of kings, kings and lord of lords, and he will come to take us home. And that's what we're looking forward to. And then the Bible says that many of those who were not Jews, they decided to become Jews because they were afraid of the Jews. Whether they were in awe of what God had done for the Jews, or whether they were really afraid of dying, the fact is that their witness, the Jews' witness, the Jews' testimony of life impacted many people who decided to accept the faith. And so, likewise, before Jesus comes, before Jesus leaves the house, before Jesus leaves the sanctuary, it is your and mine opportunity to impact other people's lives, to reflect the character of Jesus Christ, that many people around us will look and say, I am in awe of the God of these people. I am in awe of the God that these people serve. And I too want to become one of them. I too want to accept Jesus. I pray that this will be our experience. I pray that we'll be not only uh, reassured of the truth that Jesus is coming, but that our testimony, the witness of our lives, of our actions, of our words, of how we deport ourselves will impact the lives of many around us. And that this city of Belleville will look and say, I also want to be a part of that movement because I can see that they have been with Jesus. May God bless us all. Now, I don't know what you are going through, right? You may be going through many things. We come here every Sabbath and we, we wish each other a happy Sabbath. And this is always my, my real desire that we may have a happy Sabbath. But I know that life is not fair. Life since the entrance of sin, it was never promised that it would be fair, right? And so we all go through our problems. We all go through our challenges. It may be, it may be something in the family. It can be a, a disease in the family. It can be uh, the relationships in the family, family members who do not talk to each other, family members who are estranged and have no contact at all. There are family members who are looking for another member. They can't even know where the person is. It could be death in the family. It could be disease. It could be financial issues. It could be all types of crises because this is the, the world of sin that we live in. And I'd like to make an appeal this morning that if you'd like me to pray for you, if you'd like me to intercede for you, and I'll do this as God's servant. I have no power in myself, but I serve someone who has all the power. Jesus said in the Bible, all authority has been given me on earth and in heaven. All authority. When you think about it, think about these words. An angel came and rolled the stone, right? And Jesus came out of the tomb. I think it takes a lot of power to be able to roll up a stone that was sealing that tomb. But Jesus goes beyond that. Jesus not only has power, Jesus says, all authority has been given me. I have all authority. And so he has not only power, but authority to rule anything that may not be going well in your life. And so if you believe that, I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to ask you to come to the front. And we are going to offer this special prayer. Praise the Lord. Welcome. Anyone else would like to come to the front for this special moment of prayer? Please come and we'll, we'll kneel here at the front as, <clears throat> as far as possible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I think about the stories in the book of Esther... As I think, Lord, about that crucial moment where a decree had been issued where all the Jews would be exterminated. 
And the only thing they could see before them was the day of their doom. There was no way out. And I can only think of all the anxiety, of all the, the, the preoccupation that uh, took over their minds and lives. And uh, I can't even think how they functioned, Lord, between the moment when the decree was issued and in expectation of the day where they would be destroyed. But one thing I also know that the Bible teaches us, that you, Lord, operated a miracle in which the day that was going to be the day of their doom turned out to be a day of celebration. And so, Lord, these people have come here to the front. I don't know exactly what they're going through. I may know some of it, but I don't know all the details. And even if they told me all the details, Lord, I would never be able to know them really well as you can, as you do. And so, Lord, whatever they may be going through right now, even if they look uh, before them and they see only a prospect of uh, doom and destruction and, and darkness, Lord, and all those clouds, all those questions, even if that is the case, I humbly ask you, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, that you will intervene, whether it be through the help of someone else, whether it be only, Lord, by giving them peace of mind, that they would be able to cope with whatever. Whatever the situation may be, I ask, Lord, humbly that in the name of Jesus, you will intervene and you will operate a miracle according to your will. We are not here to tell you what to do, Lord. You know this better than anyone else. You know every single cell, every single drop of blood that runs in our veins. You know it very well. You know our minds, you know our brains, you know everything that goes inside. You know, Lord, even the motives that lead us to do some things that we didn't even want to do, but you know them all. And because of that, Lord, we, we ascribe you all the glory and honor, and we surrender to you, and we trust that you can resolve our situations and our problems. There is no one else we can turn to, and so we turn to you. And as your people in the book of Esther experienced the Lord victory, as they experienced celebration in, 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 in lieu of destruction, we also, Lord, plead with you that by your own name, by the glory and honor of your name, you may deliver every person who came here to the front, whatever may be binding them, whatever may be keeping them in bondage, that they will find deliverance in you. And in the blood of Jesus Christ, they will find salvation. I ask you, Lord, this. Trusting in your promises in the Bible. Trusting that you are still the same God who delivered the people of Israel. You have always been and you continue to be the same God today. And will be God forever. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ. The one who is just God like you. With the intercession of the God Holy Spirit, we ask these blessings. Amen.